This is Jeremy Robert Johnson, and you are listening to Booked. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. On this week's episode, we are reviewing Tobacco Stained Mountain Goat by Andre Bergen. Andre is an expatriate Australian journalist, musician, photographer, DJ, artist, sometime filmmaker, writer, wayward graphic designer, and ad hoc beer and sake connoisseur who's been entrenched in Tokyo, Japan for the past 10 years. In addition to all of his other pursuits, Bergen has written for the Yomuyuri Shimbun newspaper in Japan, The Age newspaper and Vice magazine in Australia, American Mag's Anime Insider and Geek Monthly, Impact and Mix Mag in the UK, and various other publications on movies, music, anime, culture, travel, food, etc. A little bit about the book, Tobacco Stained Mountain Goat. Um, This is the synopsis that we pulled off of the Amazon website. Cut to Melbourne, Australia, the most glamorous city in the world. It also happens to be the only one left standing, but never mind that. We're there now, and I'd like you to meet your narrator, a certain Floyd Makina, a likable chap with one hell of a story to share. See, the powers that be are knuckling down on the deviant menace that plagues the city, and our boy Floyd's unknowingly got himself in the thick of it. Cue guns, intrigue, kidnapping, conspiracy, and all sorts of general mayhem that make for cracking good headlines. Does Floyd stop the bad guys? Does he get the girl? Does he make Humphrey Bogart proud? Grab some popcorn and read on. We were talking about really good synopses when we were talking about uh, We Live Inside You, and I, I really like this one, too. Agreed. So let's cut right to the chase on this book. Um, it's a slightly futuristic, probably not too far in the future, I wouldn't say. I mean, another 15, 20 years for some of the stuff they talk about in there. And uh, as uh, the synopsis mentioned, Melbourne, Australia, uh, the last vestige of humanity um, on the face of the earth. And uh, they're not all doing so hot, are they? No, things are, are pretty rough. Um, so the story basically focuses on our protagonist, which is Floyd, who's uh, a bit of a boozer, and he works a- in a job called Seeker um, to pay his sick wife's medical bills. Um, what a Seeker is is um, they're the people that they're kind of a clandestine part of the government that goes around and rounds up these uh, these deviant people. And if you're classified a deviant, it could be for any number of reasons. Uh, it rounds them up so that they can be what's called relocated, which is basically, essentially, it's the undesirable people getting removed from the general population, more or less. Yeah, seekers don't sound uh, to be too different from, you know, kind of the Nazis in Germany, but uh, in a futuristic and uh, slightly more entertaining manner. Mm-hmm. Well, but not to paint a, a, a bad light on Floyd right away, seekers typically get kind of roped into... Um, these situations like Floyd has a, a wife that's ill and the only way he could afford to pay for her her stay in a hospital is by doing a seeker job so they get they specifically the government specifically searches out people that are in tight spots to kind of you know rope them into these jobs not against their will but not necessarily it's not a job that people seek out seek out get it seekers <laughs> crickets 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 so um yeah floyd is kind of the the everyday guy that gets roped into this he's uh he's just kind of trying to 
muddle his way through life, uh, one interesting, uh, one of the interesting characteristics of Lloyd's life is his love of, uh, of old school, like film noir movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, from the beginning all the way to the end, I mean, it's a first person perspective and the book is just jammed with movie references that the protagonist makes. Uh, he likens a lot of things that happen in, in his you know, day-to-day activity to, to these movies. And he makes references constantly to tons of old black and white, you know, detective movies and, and, uh, stuff like that. Um, yeah, which, um, all right. So I'm going to say this and I'm going to preface this by saying, um, that I don't mean this to sound as bad as it might come off. Um, a ton of movie references, a lot of them I didn't get. So there are parts I didn't just have to glaze over, but, um, (laughs) you know if you've listened to the show at all you may already know that i'm not much of a movie watcher um in the traditional sense where i've seen all the movies everyone else has seen i think most other people would be pretty comfortable with the movie references in this yeah but that's not to say that it would take away from the story at all the 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 types of references play a big part of it and i'm sure that you know big fans of hard-boiled fiction and and classic film noirs would um would get a lot out of this book just from like uh hey i know this i know this kind of standpoint but it doesn't detract from the story at all the story would stand just as good really without those types of specific references oh absolutely floyd is a uh is a very engaging character in in the fact that um i think a lot of people could relate to um the type of person he is and in kind of even just relating it to your your everyday job i mean he has this crappy job where he kind of rounds up people that he doesn't necessarily feel have done you know what have done things to merit you know his involvement in their lives and he's kind of mulls through it like people muddle through any other crappy job you know he kind of you know puts his shoes on in the morning and, and goes to work and you know a lot of people do that with you know with jobs every day so i found myself you know really relating to him that kind of human aspect even though his job was far more horrible than, than the job most people have to do at least mm-hmm. and so as the story progresses um from floyd's kind of day-to-day activities and your basic backstory about the fact that he's got a sick wife and that's why he's doing what he is um he's he's essentially ensnared in a in a plot or a conspiracy i guess would be a, a one way to say it where he, he he's kind of an unwilling participant almost or he doesn't even realize that he is um kind of a gear a cog in this particular machine um and it kind of comes to light as it goes on and uh yeah so the intrigue really starts to roll as the book moves along and it's yeah i I really like the way that it unfolded and everything it's a cool story you mentioned some of the other characters um floyd of course has a love interest um who's also kind of ensnared in this the same situation with him she's also a seeker her name is laurel um and she is the uh Kind of the doting girlfriend, like kind of just takes care of Floyd when he needs it. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of little characters. There's Dorothy, uh, or or Dot, which is Floyd's sister. She's uh, she in the beginning of the book is a weather reporter, um, who's starting to, starting to kind of make a name for herself. And as the story progresses, she gets you know more fame and influence in her reporter role. And she's definitely from the kind of the nicer side of the tracks, where uh, yeah. Um, you know, she lives in a nice area. She's got all these, I don't know, cosmetic uh, enhancements. Or she's got perfect teeth and really nice, you know. It, one of the parts of the story is that um, there's a lot of very kind of superficial cosmetic surgery that happens in, in the story. And so she's kind of top to bottom 
and enhanced and so she's like this perfect picture of a of a woman and and she's part of a, the very clean nice society so she doesn't really see a lot of what's going on kind of on the bad side of the tracks you talk a little bit about the enhancements you talked about we mentioned this is you know quite possibly 20 30 years in the future maybe i mean they don't give us a definitive you know there isn't a definitive date when this happens but um, it was kind of cool. The enhancement she has, she can change at will. So through some series of whatever, she can be, you know, blonde one day and have green hair the next, or change the color of her, uh, of her, you know, lip stain. You know, it's permanent. She just kind of flips a switch somewhere and it goes from red to, you know, light purple or whatever. So some very very cool stuff like just under the level of the story, you know, the background story painted a, an interesting picture of of Floyd's future. For sure. Um, and then there's Iva, which is Floyd and Dot's insane mother, who's kind of, again, in that uh, upper-class enhanced kind of world that really oblivious to. She really vilifies these deviants, and she thinks they're terrible people who are ru ruining society without really understanding the real reality of, of what's going on with the deviants and, and what the government is doing that might be questionable. And then, uh, speaking of questionable government types, um, I'm going to mess this up. Wolram E. Deeps um, is the CEO of Hilux, a company that uh, manufactures plastic, but um, was very integral in the um, institution of uh, this kind of process of seekers and labeling people deviants and their location and stuff. And he's, uh, you know, influential in politics and, you know, so you're you're kind of overall bad guy is how he's painted throughout the you know the beginning of the story you're your big fat cat bad guy yep. and there's like a you know there's a handful of other people that that you know show up here and there like hank is another seeker who sometimes is a partner with floyd there's coleman who is a drinking buddy who knows a lot about wool ram deep's past and stuff like that so there is a spattering of other characters but really dorothy laurel those are the ones that you know are really the most prominent in the book and obviously floyd yeah and and, and floyd's wife who doesn't um actually appear in the book at all but she's obviously the uh the catalyst for for the whole story she's the reason that floyd gets into this uh into this jam that he's in where he's a seeker and uncovers these other conspiracy type things mm -hmm. and and really the whole story overall has a really cool hard-boiled slash film noir feel to it um because and, and not just because he makes all these references it's kind of uh, one of the things that that stands out so much and, and it'll come through really well in the quotes that we're going to give you is is the way that the people talk the kind of slangs that they have and and just the feel that he gives the story by writing it kind of in this fashion of of a film noir kind of thing so um it's got a really great uh tone to it i guess is the way that i would say it my first note um, in the book, and I'm just gonna read it. And, and again, if anyone's ever heard us read notes, they're they're they come across as probably more crass than we mean them to. But it says, "I like the cheesy noir lingo and the fact that the narrator knows it's cheesy, and that's what makes it, you know, totally acceptable." That Floyd knows he's he's kind of silly in his his uh, you know film noiry fetishes. <laughs> yeah, it's true, and. He hits you with it right out the door, like the very first page of the you know of the story. He makes reference to four or five different movies or characters or actors, and and that's kind of how he that's the prism that we see 
his life through is is how he thinks from these these movies and books and stuff and it's funny because hardly anybody else understands what he's talking about it's not something that you know lots of people are into this he's he's definitely kind of on his own um in in his love for these things and when he makes references and stuff nobody really gets it he it's he raises a lot of eyebrows when he says stuff and people just don't know what he's talking about yeah, there's there's a, a great scene between uh, him and Laurel where he starts talking about I don't remember what movie it was he was talking about, and she's like, "Oh, the Maltese Falcon, that movie you made me watch last week." He's like, "No, the other one," and she very obviously just kind of indulges him. But again, <laughs> it, and how often does that happen that you know you're into something and the people around you just kind of indulge you, but they really have no idea what you're talking about. So there's <laughs> so, apparently it happens a lot more to me than it does to Rob. So right, exactly. So a couple of things that I thought were cool in the book. So obviously, the the whole idea is this is a post-apocalyptic Melbourne, and I've actually um, I want to point this out, and I hope that you know maybe some of our Australian um, friends and listeners will will could settle the score on this. But I have a friend who worked in Australia for a few years, and um, he lived in in this uh, in this city, and I was scolded the first time he came back to the U.S. for saying Melbourne. And uh, he says it's Melbourne. And so um, I'm trying to, to, to stay true to what he told me the right thing is. But um, if that's wrong, you know, feel free to set the record straight. Back to it. The, uh, the idea is this is a post-apocalyptic Melbourne, Australia. And it's really the people that live in this city are the only people left in the world. There was some um, kind of vaguely referenced you know, catastrophe that, that killed the rest of the world. Um, and so we're, we have this government that's very almost, uh, it's your typical, like overbearing government where there's lots of paranoia and, you know, people point the finger at you, you get taken away and they never see you again, that kind of thing. And, um, (laughs) and it's like, he almost makes fun of the situation in one point where Floyd's got a friend who, who is a cricket player. And um, <laughs> this is one of my favorite parts of the book. He's hanging out with this cricket player one night. And the cricket player, they're drinking and everything. And the cricket player gets a little bit loose with his talk and everything. And he's like, I shouldn't even be saying this. The CPs will come after me. And Floyd's like, who? And and the guy says, the cricket police. <laughs> they have ears everywhere and everything. And so he paints the picture that like there's people planted in the bar they're at who are just listening to what he's saying about cricket. And Floyd blows it off, but you know, lo and behold, the next scene, the dude's dragged away by the CPs. It's just, I, I wasn't expecting it. It was hilarious, but and and so it was like a funny take on the fact that that's how paranoid and overbearing this government is. That you know, cricket players can't even speak freely about you know how they feel about being a cricket player. Yeah, one of the things that Bergen does in this book, although he deals with very serious subject matter, he manages to. Um... He managed to treat it humor, humorously, um, you know, seeing it all through Floyd's eyes and his kind of his demeanor and, and his attitude towards things is uh, it's a very, very bleak dystopian society in some ways. But even in a bleak dystopian society, you'd have that guy that still cracks wise a lot. And that's that's who that's who we travel with on this on this journey into the society is is Floyd Mackina. And God damn it, the guy's funny. Yeah, dude's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's really good humor, like Olivia said, sprinkled throughout this book. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't, you know, even though his situations are very, very dire, and of course, throughout this book, he never, 
you know, his character, even when he's the most dejected, still cracks wise. And that's, I have friends like that. I know that there are people that that's the way they get through a tough situation. And that's what makes it, uh, that's what makes the character endearing and believable. Mm -hmm. uh, do you got more or do you want to rack some quotes? Um, I'm good with quotes. So uh, you want to kick it off? Sure. All right. Nine quotes. I clocked in at nine quotes for this book. Um, I won't do them all, but there are some that um, that I think are really great. So in various parts of the book, you know, Floyd's sad or depressed about things. Like he, there's a part where, you know, spoiler, spoiler, his wife passes and um, and he's he's going through a rough bit and he's hanging out with Laurel and they're talking about she's kind of giving trouble for drinking too much. And um, there's this one, <laughs> there's this one conversation that they're having. Uh, they're drinking at Floyd's apartment, and she said you know, they've been drinking for a while. And she says, "I'd better warn you that that's the last of the clean glasses in the house." And his reply is, "Oh well, why don't we just aim higher and fill the bath?" You yeah, know? and that's very, um, very indicative of what I was saying. I mean, he treats everything very kind of tongue in cheek. His character does. The story isn't treated in a tongue in cheek. It's just that we kind of see it through his eyes. So. Uh, it's some of the best scenes in, in the book and some of the best quotes, I think, took place between Laurel and Floyd, as does my first one. Um, no setup necessary. Um, honey, occasionally the past isn't as dry as some people think. And let's face it, dust adds depth. I really like that one. So this next one I have is a little bit more serious, and it's just a, kind of an example of the, the depth of the character and his emotions and stuff like that. And he's it's just a it kind of a, a scene that stands on its own and he's watching um something called top hat which is a musical comedy and and it, it reminds him of his wife and and so and so this is him just kind of thinking about what he's watching uh and the thought that really grabbed me was this he it, it goes veronica loved this film too and the nostalgia hits me hard i rock back and forth singing along softly tears streaming down my face so uh that one really got me. It was like unexpected because like the, the story, you know, is, is typically pretty lighthearted and that was a really heavy emotional moment. It really just, I liked it a lot. Yeah. And it hit harder because you knew that's when it was time for Floyd to be really serious about something, I think. And that's yep. what, what really added to the depth of, you know, a well-written line, but it's placement and the brevity with which, you know, it was delivered kind of tells you that this is when, you know, he's all the jokes have run out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, this other one's just kind of a, a description of something that I really liked, and um, you know, the first couple sentences are the setup for it. It's really the end that, that really got me. So, I was headed home, walking along the footpath, when a police car pulled over and spun its fancy lights. The nearest copper, seated in the passenger side of the crate, leaned out the window and scowled at me. His breath trailed condensation and condescension, the latter likely mixed in for its soothing effect on perps. That's good stuff. And the very next line starts off with an "Oi, what are you doing here, mate?" For the, for the, for the, yeah, the kind of Australian feel. I've got a couple that I want to use just kind of to establish the type of, in the same way that Livius just did, uh, the way that he writes and and the way that the people talk. Um, that it's really unique. Uh, here's one that's really quick. He was getting his cross as a frog in a sock, which I think is probably my favorite little snip <laughs> from the whole book. Um, there's another one where he's talking to someone and he says, you're tooting to the wrong ringer, dollface," <laughs> which, uh, yeah, is great. So there was a girl who was trying to sell him something on the street and he didn't want to have anything to do with it. And so that was his response. You're tooting to the wrong ringer, dollface." 
<laughs> and then and there's one more which I, I I liked because this paints a really good picture. I pushed through a bunch of counterfeit looking twenty somethings and took the stairs three at a time. It had been too long between gaspers and I was dying for a drag. Outside it was pissing down rain. So what else was new? Yeah, something we didn't mention is I think there's a moment of dryness in this weeks and weeks of, of story that this book takes place over as acid rain just comes down on uh, on Melbourne. Melbourne? Melbourne. 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 Yeah. They shouldn't have put that O in there then. <laughs> I know, it is very deceiving. But um, yeah, that the way that he writes that colorful use of, of terms and and slang like gaspers for, for cigarettes and stuff is... is mm -hmm. It really added a lot. It reminds me of the way that our intrepid uh, correspondent, Malaz Corbier, writes. He has a lot of um, old or invented slang when he writes his stories a lot of the times. And, and, it, and it's very endearing that you're really getting into the feel of how that person thinks instead of reading like a tidied up version. About 30% of the way into the story, um, we have this quote, which kind of sums up um, Floyd's opinion about himself. And where did I fit in? I wish I could blame apathy. I am, remember, a somewhat pathetic, self-pitying alcoholic with a predilection towards prescription drug abuse. But above and beyond my indulgent habits, I was, in fact, just another government henchman. I actually fucking helped them. No wonder, then, that I always drift towards self-loathing. It's a wonder I can sleep a wink even with the medication. So I've got one just last one that I thought was, um, again, just a, a, a funny way to use words and, and to get a point across. But uh, essentially, he's, uh, he's, at, he's at this uh, kind of event that's about to happen, and there's a lot of news people there. And um, remember, his sister, Dorothy, is a, is a journalist. So um, this is the quote. I scanned the journalists, half hoping to find my sister among them. Instead, I ended up edging away when I saw ITC had sent none other than Montgomery Berman to cover the story. I'd had more than my fill of that mustache, so I headed over to the group of controllers. Yeah, the writing in this was very, very solid. Um, and it, even the slang that we talked about was delivered in such a way that, although we should mention there is a glossary at the end of the book that you can refer to, I didn't find myself really needing it. I mean, I really got the gist from the, the context of what was being said. So, mm -hmm. Okay. And just some of the, the, um, the, like we're talking about the slang in the book that I thought was, is, I mean, it's, it's, it kind of runs the gamut from obvious stuff like, um, aces, which means wonderful or perfect to, uh, uh <laughs> he says stuff like air out, which would, which means to shoot someone bloke obviously is like a just a, a guy uh, there's just some really funny really out there stuff calling someone a victim or a fall guy uh using the term canary which i uh, it's kind of new to me calling sunglasses cheaters you referred to cars as crates mm -hmm. uh yeah so there's just tons of this really really goofy uh some of it's made up i think he said some of it he just made up but other stuff is is more commonly known a gumshoe is a detective, obviously. So it's really, and there's a whole, like Livia said, glossary in the back. And there's also a list of, of references to all the movies and stuff that, that he was talking about in the book, too. So Bergen really helps you out with the stuff that you might not be familiar with. But uh, yeah, some of the words he used in there, just I, I thought were just great. Yeah, he's also kind enough to include um, some recommended uh, films and what some of the primary inspirations were for this story. Um, 
I know that authors, at least from my experience, authors are pretty good later on about telling you what their what their uh, motivation was for writing a story if it's based on something else. Um, I don't get the feeling that that happens up front quite as often, but yeah, right in the back of the book, he lists uh, three movies that are primary cinematic inspirations for anyone who might be familiar with them. Um, the Thin Man, The Maltese Falcon, and The Third Man were listed as the primary inspirations for the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I really appreciated the fact that he, he took the time to uh, to add those types of things, a glossary, a list of references, and suggested you know movies and stuff for, for people that are into that type of thing or, or whatever. It was really cool. Yep. You ready to do a wrap-up on this one? Yeah, I can go first. Okay. I'm going to keep it short. I, I really liked the book overall. I really liked it. There was a, a cool, noir, kind of hard-boiled feel to it in, in, a, in a vaguely futuristic po- post-apocalyptic setting. Uh, none of it felt, you know, out of place. He worked it all together really well. The character of Floyd was fantastic, and the supporting cast was, was really good, too and overall it was just a good story it had a lot of emotional um investment in it so yeah overall i liked it a lot and um yeah i'm giving it four stars um everything that rob said (laughs) and um, one of the things i liked i've read some futuristic books or short stories and a lot of times in the setup, it just all seems kind of forced. Like, here's what you need to know about the story. So they kind of crank it out as fast as they can, and it comes at you, and you are you know have some trouble swallowing it. So one of the things that uh, Bergen did very, very well here is kind of the slow rollout of what things were. You know, introducing him as a seeker, and then kind of getting your feet wet slowly with what he does. Or introducing a device that's futuristic, but, you know, not not just slamming you with with everything that's going on in this world but really telling a story the way the the protagonist would see it without forcing the the futuristic stuff down your throat to make a point come across so just very natural kind of rollout of the the futuristic society that 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 you know floyd is a part of in, in the storyline um like i said it was humorous enough in a in a real way to to keep it um you know additionally entertaining the writing itself was really good and the story was entertaining but the humor really added that extra level i think so um you know it's you know it was pitched to us as kind of sci-fi noir um it's not heavy on the sci-fi so if you happen to catch that uh, that tag i wouldn't let that deter you if you're not a fan of sci-fi i've never really been a big sci-fi guy um and i didn't feel that there was anywhere near you know too much sci-fi in this story so i much like rob really really enjoyed it and it's definitely a four-star book all right yeah good stuff i really i I, it's going to be on the list of books that i recommend to people just because i mean it's a quick read and um i think it's got that universal appeal where i could you know everybody's like hey well you know give me something to read and and that would definitely be on my list of things i throw to people yeah, that's a very good point, you know, because and of course, the people that I get asked from most often for, for book recommendations are the people who don't read very much. So they have no kind of set taste or schedule to read on. And, and you're right, this would be a perfect fit for, for a lot of different types of people to get their feet wet with something fairly quick and very good. Yeah, because I mean, not a big time commitment either. I think it's clocks in just under 250 pages. So it's not enormous. Good stuff. I will say this, even though there's a big note right in the front of the book that says, Hey, there's a glossary and a film reference guide in the back. I glazed right over that <laughs> and then got to the end and I was like, 
Oh, this would have been really helpful while I was reading the book. Totally not, totally not the author's fault. All and then, me. And then he cursed paying. Andre Bergen. <laughs> yeah. I was like, why didn't he put a neon sign on the front of this book that said there's a glossary? Yeah, that was all me. So, yeah, if you if you do decide to read this, and we both recommend this, uh, you know, that, that you do, definitely um, use the glossary function. Go, if you're reading it on your Kindle, just go to the back and drop a bookmark in there so you can kind of flip back and forth when you need it. For sure. What else you got on your mind, uh, Rob? Um, I thought it was going to be a light news week, but um, it turns out that there's actually several things going on. So um, the first on the list, and actually Livius knows a little more about this than I do, is that <laughs> we ran across an article recently where, um, and it seemed like it was almost, um, to me, at first I actually thought it was an Onion article just because it seems so ridiculous, but um, Amazon's looking to open brick and mortar stores which i <laughs> completely took me by surprise <laughs> yeah it appears that they're looking to do it to kind of forward books made by their uh, by their own imprint um but tell let's face it there's a big hole in the bookstore community because amazon put orders out of business basically so now they've now the master plot is coming full circle now we know what they were doing and everywhere there's a borders maybe there'll be an amazon in five or six years for sure, and it seemed a little bit weird from what I from what I understand. Well, not weird, but very specific. And from what I understand, I think they're piloting stores right now, so it'll probably be a couple locations, and they'll see how they do. And yeah, like Livia said, it seems like they're only going to be selling physical copies of books on their own imprint. And then I'm assuming it would just make sense that they would have other Amazon gear in the store, like the 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 different versions of the Kindle and you know, accessories for them and stuff like that. You know, and that's uh, kind of interesting that you mentioned that because uh, it seems like they've got some ads out for uh, for the Kindles. Yeah, there's uh, things are, <laughs> I don't know if it's, it's. Um, it seems like just recently there's been a lot more commercials that are directly trying to take on Apple or make fun of Apple. And so one of the ones really quickly was Samsung did an ad that ran for the first time during the Super Bowl, and they've been doing kind of basic attack ads on on Apple fans and how how obsessed they are about products that Samsung is considering inferior. Um, and they did one for the Super Bowl that just kind of went way out overboard. And Amazon recently um, had an had a commercial come out where it's these people sitting outside, like in a beach kind of area or by a park or you know whatever by a pool. And they're talking about the devices they have, and this one woman has a Kindle Fire, and the idea is the family has two Kindle Fires and a Kindle, and the guy says, wow, that's a lot of money to spend, and he's holding an iPad. And she says, no, actually, all three of these cost less than that, and she points at the iPad. Which is um, a very accurate statement, although I don't necessarily know that the two are comparable items, as we've talked in previous shows. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, my personal opinion is I love Kindles and I love the Kindle Fire as the concept for, for being a reader that goes, you know, almost full tablet. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you can't compare what the iPad is capable of with what the Kindle Fire is capable of, really. It's really two different worlds. The Kindle Fire is far more locked down and restricted with the types of things you can do on it than, than what an iPad could do. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that comparison is like saying, hey, you've got that BMW, but I have like, a, you know, a, a scooter, a motorbike and a bicycle and they <laughs> cost less than what you're driving. 
Yeah, and really, like, I mean, beyond size alone, like, you're never going to walk into a small business and see them using a Kindle Fire as their cash register. You know, there's just things that, I mean, it's an e-reader. It's a media consumption device. It's not, you know, a boiled-down kind of computer device. So uh, the com- I understand the comparison, and I understand how, how Kindle's trying to take on the people who are looking for a low-end price tablet, but... I mean, that shot was way off, I think. And we love our Kindles, our regular Kindles. And, and comparatively speaking, if I want to read a book, I'd much, much rather do it on a Kindle than on an iPad. Now, if you offered me a $79 unit or a $500 unit, I'm probably going to lean towards the $500 unit and learn to live with it. <laughs> but it's definitely not the preferred way I would read a book. So, Yep. All so right. there's that. iPads taking shots, but I mean... Yeah, I don't think it's going to slow down any momentum that, that Apple has with the iPad. Nope, I don't think so either. And, you know, I'm not one to defend Apple products, so. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of taking shots, uh, let's talk about what happened with the Out of Bullets contest, Liv. All right, here it is. The uh, We mentioned uh, kind of the early results, but the results are now official. Pablo Destere has won his Out of Bullets Throw the Gun contest. Um, with with just what we had voted for, Collection B was Pablo's uh, collection. So if you haven't heard the news yet, um, the short story is if you hadn't heard the episode where Pablo was on or the episodes that we've talked about it, it was basically Pablo threw out a challenge um, to challenge, uh, I believe it was ultimately 12 or 13 authors uh, to write short fiction, to submit any short fiction piece they wanted, very short fiction piece, and that he, in eight hours, would write the same number of, uh, of short fiction pieces from scratch. And then these two collections were available for free download to anybody. Um, you could read it on your computer or your Kindle. It was available through Smashwords. And you would just vote and vote for your top three stories. Um, so it turns out that he was able to, in eight hours, thwart the efforts of 12 authors that submitted their work, which is pretty, pretty impressive, I think. Yeah, especially considering that some of the stories that were submitted had actually won awards. Um, so there were award-winning stories in Collection A. Yeah, and, and you know, not only did he win, but my understanding is that the margin was pretty much two to one. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a, an edging out. It was a, it was a, it was a, just a shutdown, which is how I felt about the, the collections, too, when I was reading them. You know, we originally had read the five stories from each, and I said it was pretty close at that point. But then, yeah, just Collection B pulled away in the, in the later stories. Yeah, it's uh, impressive. It's interesting to see the outcome. But I think one of the most impressive things is that we were right. <laughs> well, of course we were right. Yeah. So uh, that's what, I mean, we tell you what to read, but we know who wrote it, too. Professional podcasters. Yeah. You can't, don't settle for the amateurs. We we know our stuff. If you're listening to that NPR stuff, those people don't know anything. They didn't even hear of the Sounded Bullets contest. Yeah, when they review a book, they read the first and last chapter, and then they they do a write-up based on that. God, I hate people who do that. (laughs) All right, what else we got going on? All right. Um, hey, we should mention, though, that Pablo, since he's not giving away money to these uh, these authors that took him up on his challenge, uh, will be donating the top prize, which was $100, to a charity called Protect. Uh, and you can see the website for more info on that. And it looks like he may be doing another contest. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. High, riding the high of being a winner. I'm sure he's going to want to have more people try and take him down. Yeah. All right. This, uh, this kind of next story is... Uh, 
is a story that we're going to breeze through quickly because it's really a non-story. QR Markham, who we mentioned several episodes ago, who was a busted plagiarizing, you know, James Bond and some other works, uh, uh, is uh, working on a memoir that's going to shed light on his plagiarism scandal. So <laughs> what, what Livius is telling you is that a guy who wasn't just accused of, but actually, like, you know, did steal from another book to write, to put his book together, is writing a book about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, here's the actual, so I said that was kind of a little bit of a non-story there. Here's the story. I, in the near future, am going to be writing a book about how I stole a book from a guy who stole from another book. And you guys can <laughs> buy that book and read that instead, so... Yeah, get your QR Markham pre-orders in. Spend some money with that cat. Mm-hmm. But I, I was reading. A, I was reading. I think I got this off of Lit Reactor. Um, I was reading a story about this, and I guess things have kind of not been going too well for him. Uh, QR Markham. Uh, I guess you know he has the whole down on his luck story of uh, he has to repay his advance that he got from I think Little Brown was the, was was the publisher who cho- who who chose to publish this book. He's got to pay his advance back, lost his girlfriend. He's going through a lot of hard times and stuff like that. So um, as much as we want to say this guy's a douche for doing what he did, he's definitely paying the price for it. Yeah, and justly so. I don't I don't see anybody paying for the book that <laughs> I just I just don't get it. I just don't get it. How is somebody <laughs> going to buy the book that talks about him plagiarizing other books that people, you know, bought? Yeah, I don't know. And and it's going to be – the title of the book is actually going to be um, Moonraker, I think it is. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> Casino Royale. That's the name of the book. That's the name of his memoir. Very nice. Uh, <laughs> what, what else do we have? You have some fun stuff to talk about. All right. Um, really quick, uh, kind of at the last moment right before we started recording um, – Someone sent me a link to. They said you're gonna love this. It was. They sent me an email that said you're gonna love this, and it was a website called BetterBookTitles.com, um, and the actual link she gave me was BetterBookTitles.com/archive, and so I clicked on it, and then what it is is, essentially, it's it's book covers of of popular books, and they've changed the titles for them to be funny. So actually, now that I notice this, um, one of the ones is a is a the cover of the Bible and it says shit. My dad says <laughs> it's, it's pretty hilarious. <laughs> Sir Lane Harris, the, uh, the writes the Sookie Stackhouse um, series of novels that true blood was adapted from uh, one of the book titles is necrophilia is still okay in Louisiana. And there's, there's hundreds of book titles and they're, they're all, there's some really, there's some good gems in there. So feel free to check it out for house of leaves. The, they changed the title to Spoiler Alert. This book only makes sense if you're high. Yeah, there's some really great ones in there. The For Twilight, it's uh, it says 107-year-old virgin. Um, yeah, so go check it out. It's uh, betterbooktitles.com slash archive uh, for just a big, long list of pictures of book titles with their with their titles or uh, book covers with their titles cleverly changed. Um, it's probably going to be five five to ten minutes of browsing around but it's pretty entertaining sounds that way i'm definitely gonna have to check that out oh livius one that we've touched on recently uh the haruki murakami book 1q84 they changed it to say you must have an iq of 184 or greater to read this book 
see i don't god maybe uh, maybe we're too dumb to understand that book maybe no. that's why we hated it nope you don't know nothing that's, no that's not the case at all remember that guy said it was kind of like the girl with the dragon tattoo oh yeah um her soul sister right yes yeah yeah i think that was yeah. qr markham that said that it might be might very well be so um <laughs> let's do some uh some house cleaning here first of all i was gonna start this off with i want to apologize but i don't uh the guy's name at stitcher that refuses to mention us as a must listen to podcast his name is maddie not marty just <laughs> want to get that clarification out there because i've listened to other podcasts where they just make erroneous mistakes about names of, of things and then just never correct them i don't want to be that podcast so so uh maddie at stitcher keep checking my email i still don't see us on the the stitcher uh top list he'll always be marty to me yeah and that's it now we mentioned that we're on stitcher so we fulfilled that obligation there it is <laughs> all right so coming up in the next uh couple weeks we've got some interesting things going on we uh we have an interview with jeremy robert johnson author of uh we live inside you which is uh it's pretty cool. We're looking forward to that. And we also will be having an intro to Hard Boiled, our second intro to episode um, with our guests. For that is Nick Corpon. So so be on the lookout for a couple of cool episodes coming up in the near future. Yeah, it's cool. I like having guests on the show. It's fun. For sure. What else All we right. got? It uh, that's it. I'm gonna I'm gonna plug some stuff. Uh, Facebook.com/slash/booked/podcast. Just like it sounds. Um, if you haven't, go there. Click like on the page. Then share it with all of your friends. And uh, even if you don't like the show, don't assume your friends won't. So go click like, share, um, and you can follow us on Twitter too. We're booked podcast on Twitter. And I promise, I promise, if we get like 15 more um, follows this week, I will say something terribly clever by the next episode on Twitter. Wow, that's heavy. That's big. All right, so yeah, definitely go follow us. All right, that's going to wrap up this book review episode of Booked. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading. Keep reading.